So, we know who the most synonymous character with Disney is, right? Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Well, who is the second most synonymous? Hmm. Ariel. Ariel? Ariel. Uh, okay, unique answer. I, I guess at the moment, yes. Uh, but who's the third? Um, hmm. Elsa? Am I that behind the times? Okay, fine. Who's the fourth most? If she doesn't say Donald... Stitch! <laughs> Stitch? Stitch? Doggone highfalutin! Um, I'm pretty sure she meant Daffy Duck, man. Uh, wrong duck, but, you know, it's always fun to mess with James. I don't know. Stitch is probably one of the most famous duck out there, so... Yeah, but also... She said Ariel. I mean, when did the font become so popular? Hey, that's my favorite font to use when typing out scripts for podcasts. <laughs> Just kidding, it's Comic Sans. Um, <laughs> and there goes our listenership. <laughs> yes! There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. Hello everyone, I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. And I'm Chrissy Harding. Welcome to the Pemmy and James featuring Chrissy, kind of sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. We still need to update that theme song. (laughs) No, the theme song is fine right where it is because you don't always know when you're going to get me. Especially when Corona's involved. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, last time I wasn't here because I had no voice. <laughs> and you were sorely missed, but it's a new year. It's a new s- season, I guess. The 2024 season, I guess we can call it. And we are starting off big with one of the crown jewels of Disney's short subjects, Donald Duck. <laughs> oh, well, man, I said what? Did we get Steve Willie? Oh, finally. <laughs> and as you probably guess, I... <laughs> all hell has broken loose in the studio. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what happens when you get us on. As you probably guessed, uh, who better to bring on for Disney short subjects than two of the foremost Looney Tunes short subject experts. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the hosts of That's Not Quite All, folks, Mark Halem and Jordan Schmidt. Uh, hi. Thank you, guys. Hi. Thank you. This is, it's thank nice you. to be here. Oh, what thank a day you. for me not to have the tangent board. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's nice that like you're getting us out of our comfort zones because, yes, as you said, we are more used to the Warner Brothers stuff, but... I think we'd be lying, both of us. I don't want to speak for you, Mark, if we said that we didn't have a nice appreciation for not only Disney, but Disney shorts. I mean, our, our childhood growing up with the House of Mouse stuff, where they got like yeah. shorts from all over the place. Like They they had some good units back in the day, and, and I, I did something that I'm glad that we got to see some of uh, to prep for this. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I've always been more of a Disney movies guy than a Disney yeah. shorts guy, but yeah, definitely... 
I think a lot of my love from Disney shorts does come from the House of Mouse. In fact, I was very pleasantly surprised to see that one of the shorts in this is was also shown in a House of Mouse uh, TV yeah. special, that being uh, Mickey's House of Villains, mm. which I watched all the time <laughs> as a kid. Yeah, why is that not yet on Disney Plus? Rice issues. Know. With themselves? They don't want to pay the rights for all the... I don't know. It's 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 a weird thing where Disney like has like rights holdups on specific things, especially things that people want to see, but not on other things that people don't. It's it's a weird corporate tract. Disney is so big, they have rights disputes with themselves. Yeah. Why am yeah. I not surprised? Oh, man. I mean, like Tarzan I get, because I know that that's the whole thing with the estate of the um, of the Tarzan people is very much like yes, you can use our characters sometime. Yeah. Yes, use our characters sometimes, but don't you dare put the Legend of Tarzan show on Disney Plus. You can put the movie. You can put the weird direct to video movie on there, but not I the like, series. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. Like uh, with the Great Mouse Detective, because they really mm. wanted to turn that into a series, they can't do that because they really pissed off the writer for that. Ooh. To the point, she actually revoked their rights. <laughs> like yeah. they did, they made the movie. Oh my god, I'm trying to remember. Because I'm part of, outside of this, I'm actually part of a Sherlock Holmes group, and we were talking about oh, yeah. about it. And we were talking about why they didn't make more, and literally someone actually hunt down uh, the writer in Florida. She was in a nursing home, but she's, she was oh. very much with it. Good. And she was like, she sued them back for the rights, got the rights back, and she said, and she was like, nobody will ever get these rights to my to the Great Mouse Detective book series. She's like, no one will. She was so pissed with Disney with what they did to her story. <laughs> she was like, we're done. <laughs> she just really hated Vincent Price. Oh. I don't know something about. <laughs> Oh. No, she re- that was the only casting in the whole movie she loved. She's like, okay. that was oh, it. Good. That was the oh, only good. part of it she loved. But like everything else that they did, she was like, I'm done. Eve Titus. That's one on the tangent. Eve Titus. She was. Yeah, she was so <laughs> upset with them. She did what P.L. Travers never could do, which was get the rights back from Disney. <laughs> We need a Saving Mr. Banks type movie about this person um, defiantly standing against Disney. It's probably not as exciting as Saving Mr. Banks, but I mean, dude, that's the '80s. The mm. the amount of cocaine alone. <laughs> so before we get so far abroad, we wind up talking about the Sugar Bowl from the Sword in the Stone. <laughs> I love that Sugar Bowl. <laughs> Let's get into our little historic preamble. Donald Fauntleroy Duck dates back to three years before he was even animated to the 1931 book, The Adventures of Mickey Mouse, which was also the very first such book the Disney company ever published. Hmm. Now, aside from Popeye and company, Popeye himself first appearing in Thimble Theater in 1929 and Olive 10 years before that, This also makes Donald the oldest character we've had as the singular main focus of an episode yet. Nice. (laughs) Now, while the overwhelming majority of Mickey and his animated friends would first appear in black and white short subjects, Donald wouldn't make the jump until Technicolor was a thing, which 
of course, Disney famously had exclusive rights to for a long while. <laughs> yeah, they they yeah. For, they really they really wanted the color red. They're very hell bent on that. I think I feel like I love to sing it from WB was like the first Technicolor short they did. Like I, I, wow. I I'm not entirely sure which one it was from WB, but it was very much a case of like. When WB tried to do color shorts and wasn't Technicolor, there were a few hues missing. And it had to go like, yep, the, this owl is purple. Don't question it. He just is. Like, okay. Warner Brothers get away with that. Colors. Yes. <laughs> I mean, come on. Hanna-Barbera gave us a purple mountain lion. <laughs> so Disney had Technicolor for their first short subject that we're looking at today. 1934's The Wise Little Hen, and our discussion of Donald's earliest history will be deeply intertwined with our discussion of that very short. Animator Albert Hunter came up with Donald's look for this short, and the rough basics of the characters shown here have principally endured to this day. A blue sailor shirt with matching hat, white feathers and orange bill, Shortish in stature, making him roughly equal in height to his soon-to-be-frequent co-star, Mickey Mouse. But the most significant thing Donald had from day one was his voice, Mm -hmm. courtesy of vaudeville performer Clarence Nash. Mm -hmm. Nash had heard from Wilfred Jackson, an animator and director at the Walt Disney Company, that they were looking for animal voices for new cartoons, so Nash sent the company a tape of him singing Mary Had a Little Lamb, and a voice closely resembling a quacking duck. Boy, they got a lot of mileage out of that performance later on. Can you, can you imagine you're Disney, and you randomly get a tape in the mail that's just a guy singing Mary Had a Little Lamb? That sounds like a horror movie. It's like, oh my god, th- th- this person's out to kill us. Yeah, without that context. In a very demented way. <laughs> without the context of a character, is like... Like what, what's what's going on here? And you have one animator going, "Oh, I asked for this. Sorry, I, I." He's doing a character <laughs> voice. It's not weird. I feel like Bendy and the Ink Machine missed missed this being in their game. Mercifully, <laughs> <laughs> upon hearing it, Walt Disney himself knew they had their voice for their duck character. Wilfred would direct the wise little hen, based on Russian folktale, the little red hen and the grain of wheat. And he would go on to direct key segments in feature films like Cinderella, Lady and the Tramp, and perhaps most famously, the Night on Bald Mountain segment in Fantasia. Oh, okay. So let's dive in. Yeah. The short opens with the wise hen, who is never named beyond simply that, Hmm. looking to grow a crop of corn before winter comes, and first goes to ask Peter Pig to help with the gardening. A lot of trivia here just in this first minute. Mm-hmm. Starting with the hen, she's performed by Florence Gill, who voiced the similar character, Clara Cluck, for several appearances. And would also perform hens and roosters for Disney, in addition to various live-action roles for assorted companies. Now, Peter Pig's voice is split between Clarence Nash for the speaking parts, and most of the grunts are supplied by Pinto Colvig, who, of course, is best known as the original voice of Goofy. Yeah, I heard some moments in this where I'm like, wait, is that Goofy? Like, especially in, in, in the chorus uh, during one part, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, that, that one guy sounded a bit like Goofy. 
Hmm. So yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, also, um, I'm very glad that the pig was voiced by a human because <laughs> Pinto did such a good job with these pig sound effects when he's pretending to have the belly ache. I kind of went in the back of my mind, okay, I know it's a human, but it is the early 30s and animal rights weren't a thing yet, so... And to be fair, Pinto is a great name for a pig. <laughs> that is it's also yeah it's but be, it's a better name for a pig than a car yeah i was gonna yeah, say, yeah. say that. <laughs> now eagle-eyed viewers of who framed roger rabbit oh. will sport the animation for peter pig playing the accordion in the beginning of the toontown portion of that movie oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what was familiar anyhow Peter feigns a stomach ache when asked about helping plant the corn, and so the hen goes looking for more help. Now, I must ask, was it really necessary for Peter's buttocks to be that lovingly animated? That's a theme yes. in these. There's a couple of ass shots in, in, in some of these that uh, I think some we'll get to later, but it's just, I think that it was just, a, I, I don't think they were trying anything of it, but it's just like, huh. Huh. You also have to remember is that at that time period, these were not really meant for kids. These were more for adults. So ah. welcome to fan service, early <laughs> fan service. So what you're saying is they weren't making this for kids. They were making this for themselves. Right? Pretty much. Can you imagine Walt Disney's like, I want the crack more detailed and rounder. <laughs> exactly. there yeah, you go. If, if there's one thing we know about Walt Disney is that he was an ass man. <laughs> Hey, remember the haze coat? The haze coat wasn't really a thing yeah. too much back then. Yeah, this was pre. This was like early, early on. So Betty you know. Boop was a thing. Remember, we had Betty Betty Boop was really? kind of a th- almost close to being a thing at this time period. So just remember that Betty Boop was only a few years you know, off. You know, I do love that in the very beginning of animation, the steps were okay. Let's make drawings move. Amazing. Let's make them turn the music awesome and there's just one guy out there who's going can i get off on this and and that was and that was, and that was the next step yeah that's where you get betty boop listen, listen i mean from the dawn of time remember prostitution is the oldest profession yeah, yeah. people have been dirty longer than we realize yes <laughs> So the belly aching about belly aches continues with Donald Duck when he's approached to help out. Now, much like Donald, Peter and the hen have vocal traits and tics that emulate the animal's real-life counterparts, with the hen noticeably clucking her pronunciation of corn. This also seems to be the best spot to point out that there was originally to be a turkey character named Tom, <laughs> according to the Tartan yeah. Research blog. Ooh. Donald's like, I'm the only poultry around here, man. Yeah, it, it wouldn't make sense if it was a, <laughs> the turkey. A, a chicken, the turkey, a turkey wanted too much meat. money. Yeah, <laughs> they did Tom Fowl. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome, Sunset Slade. <laughs> we have a follower in Scotland uh, who goes by the screen name Sunset Slade, and he absolutely loathes puns. Ah, uh, so it's it, it's become a running joke. <laughs> That we're never visiting Scotland. <laughs> it's weird. I thought I was the only person who had a random friend in Scotland. Like it's yeah, just a thing yeah. that podcasters have, this. apparently. Speak for yourself. I am so going to Scotland to meet Sunset. <laughs> yeah. So 
it's up to the hen and her kids to plant the corn, and we see some cute ideas here, including using a horseshoe and some nails to till the field, and an old can punched with holes for watering the seeds. I'd call this above-average fare for the period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this was when the animation industry as a whole hadn't yet settled into character-based humor to carry stories. Yeah, that's, um... Well, we're still in that time of, oh my god, these characters are moving. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. The animation's really good, obviously. I'm not saying it's, it's like bad animation or anything. But it's there's really not much to talk about with this one because a lot of it is just, mm-hmm. Yep, they sure are. And this is something that WB also did very early, which is they also fell into this trap of just... Yep, we're, we're, we're just going to sing this song. We're going to have some characters dance around, and that's going to be it. And hopefully you're yeah. entertained enough, 1930s audience. Yeah. And I, I like that the chicks wear, the baby chicks all wear shoes, but the, but, uh, the hen does not. <laughs> yeah. So the yeah. corn grows in record time. <laughs> Forget knee-high by July. What's in the soil? <laughs> it's the mega soil. This is before we poisoned the earth. And there's my echo. There's my eco comment of the day. <laughs> so with the corn all grown, now the hen asks the lazy blokes of the Idle Hour Club to help harvest it. More feigned belly aches, but this time with the wall of their clubhouse falling to reveal their ruse, the hen realizes the game and winks at her kids. So again, they're left to their own devices, but we don't get any harvesting gags. We go straight to the cooking. And as the food is all cooked, we get what can only be described as food porn. <laughs> is this like the first instance of it on like in an animated show? It does look really good. I will say that. That's I want bad. that cornbread. Was this short sponsored by the National uh, Corn Association or something? Wouldn't shock me. Every single. Here's the corn today. Corn, the magic food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And yes, Bill Corbett, corn is grass. Oh, thank you. Thank oh. you. That's yes. what we get! <laughs> yes. Yes. But these are just absolutely exquisite drawings of corn in the cob, corn bread, corn muffins, and other goodies. Now she goes to make one last ask of her neighbors, and wouldn't you know it, they're still sick with spotted tongues and Donald seeing stars. Until she asks if they want to help her eat. Boy, they get well fast. And we have Donald's first. Oh, boy! I can't do a good Donald impression. That sounded more like Toad. No, I can't do one either. So, you know. Donald takes a very... It's kind of like Muttley's laugh. No one gets quite close to it. They get close, but not exact. <laughs> But they don't get well fast enough to receive their own meal of castor oil. No <laughs> doubt here intended as a play both on its perceived use to cure diseases and on its bad reputation with kids for its taste. Ah. Ah. The one gag of the picture. Oh, there's some mild gags, but it, it's mostly... Like, it's weird that the comedic hook of this cartoon is just, like, multiple shots of Donald and Peter retching like like that that's your comedic hook other than just the castor oil bit like this is before they realize how to pace gags it's it's toilet humor yeah there you go I, I just want to know how Peter managed to make his tongue just spot like that that's a great talent oh party trick yeah 
All Donald and Peter can do is kick each other in the rear in shame and repentance. <laughs> That's somebody's fetish and you know it. Oh, God. <laughs> Going uh, back to the earlier comment I've made. <laughs> and you would know, Pemmy. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> The, the disadvantage of doing commissions as an artist. <laughs> I, I, on one hand, I kind of love how just like the nine old men in a room together going, okay, how do we end this? They Laughing. kick each other's asses and we iris out. Okay. <laughs> okay, we sign off. <laughs> you could tell there were no women in that room. Yeah. Yeah. So all told, this is a pretty basic morality play, and the key aspects of Donald's personality aren't yet in place. Later in the year, though, this short would be adapted into the Silly Symphony's comic strip in newspapers, drawn by Al Taliaferro, marking Donald's very first appearance in the comics medium. More on that shortly. It, it does feel weird seeing Donald's design here, because it, it, it's off, but at the same time, there's a lot of design elements in there. So it's just, it's, it's that level of just kind of weirdly uncanny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's weirdly lanky. No, it's, his uh, bill is so long. Yeah. <laughs> he, to put it in, in corporate speak, he's not marketable yet. I, I, I don't <laughs> see, I, I mean, I, I know Disney would make dolls of all their characters really early on, but like not until Bob Clampett entered the picture. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, I can't imagine a child going to a toy store and seeing this type of Donald and going, yes, I want to sleep with that every night. I want to wake <laughs> up in the morning and see that lanky boy um, in my face. That better not be just... a commission. <laughs> Don't give anyone ideas. <laughs> they already have them. You know what? Better this version of Donald than... Random victim number 44 from the Jaws line of plushies. Oh, this is an actual thing. God. Yeah, I've seen that one. Sure. Oh, <sighs> they have a they have a Aliens Golden Book now. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, that's that's like odd. That, I mean, on one hand, yes, it's a good way to get kids into horror. But on the other hand, it's weird to plushify and cutify like the Alien franchise. Like, really? Oh my God. Someone <laughs> actually mean, did... Someone actually did turn that early Donald Duck into a plushie toy. Oh, Lord. In 1930s, Donald Duck celluloid toy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. It, it sure looks tall and lanky. <laughs> a friend of mine had the perfect comment on that. It's like... Uh, he said, stuff for kids is being made into horror franchises. Horror franchises are being made for stuff for kids. <laughs> I mean, yeah. all, all I really think about is, like, back in the 80s, you know, like, like the, the RoboCop animated show. Where, <laughs> like, 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 this is just the cycle repeating itself, really. Yeah. yeah. It, it kind of is. All right. I anyways, go ahead, oh, yeah. James. Yeah. And there will be more on the RoboCop cartoons because, yes, indeedy. It's on the list. Oh, good. I've got two cartoons. (laughs) You got one in the 80s and one in the 90s. Dang. (laughs) They really wanted to make that work. Anyhow, 
In the animated world, Donald would quickly be folded into Mickey Mouse's ensemble of characters as a key supporting player in shorts like Orphan's Benefit and the Band Concert. In the former cartoon, Donald's second animated appearance, animator Dick Lundy was Donald's animator, and it would be under Lundy's pen and supervision that the character's personality would grow into what we know today. Donald's popularity rose to such a degree that he would get his own series of solo cartoons separate from Mickey and Company within a mere few years in 1937. And next up, we see Donald pretty much in his recognizable form in 1940s The Riveter, directed by the aforementioned Dick Lundy, and this was one of my personal favorites from a tape of Disney cartoons we recorded off free Disney Channel trials when the channel was a premium option like HBO. The statute of limitations is off of that time period now. You can't get me, FBI. <laughs> oh, heck yeah, Dick Lundy. He'd, he'd later leave Disney to help uh, make a ton of, like, uh, freaking Woody Woodpecker cartoons. Oh, cool. And he'd later work for Hanna-Barbera. Yep. Wow. All right. So, diving into this short... At a construction site, we encounter Disney's longest-running antagonist and, indeed, longest-running character, Pete the Cat, who so vociferously fires a porcine construction worker. The aforementioned worker is knocked right through the fence. Now, Pete is, as usual for this time period, performed by Billy Bletcher, who I'm sure Martin Jordan can pontificate more on. Oh, we love Billy. It's one of those things where every time he shows up in one is like, okay, I know that part of the voice. That has to be Billy Bletcher. And the one that I point to the most is I love to sing it because that's the most like it's it's Billy doing the front of the voice thing, but he's also doing an accent and it's 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 the most iconic for me. But he's I love that they, he just was a freelance guy in this era in this era that that all the studios like, yeah, let's get Billy in here. So yeah, it's great to see him here as Pete or hear him as Pete, but you know what I mean. Yeah, um, the thing that I find really funny about our show is that, you know, we're Looney Tunes podcast. You would think, oh, Mel Blank, he's the main guy. Our oh. theme starts with Billy Bletcher as Papa Bear. Yeah. It begins <laughs> with Billy Bletcher. So, yeah. Also, his Papa Bear in the Three Bears cartoons is legendary. It's I so breakfast so in bed. You know, so on and so forth. So good. So good. I'm just glad that we got at least one short that had Pete in it because Pete's yeah. such a oh, yeah. great villain. Yeah, there's a reason they keep using him. <laughs> also, I just noticed something weird. The uh, start of this short, like when they showed Donald's face and then they do like the title card, Donald's yeah. hat is like white, but when they get into the actual cartoon, it's blue for some reason. Animation Air. error, animation yeah. error. <laughs> Take off point five points. <laughs> uh. <laughs> the colorist has missed a spot. How dare they? Now, Pete Jack hammers a Riveter Wanted sign into the pavement, and I'm not sure whether to be impressed or wonder why the notoriously cheap Pete doesn't save himself the salary cost and do some of the work himself. <laughs> Pete? Hold up. Pete, do extra work? No. That's a fair point, but, you know, balancing do work, spend money. Spend money, <laughs> do work. It's probably not his money that he's spending. Exactly. He's hmm. just the foreman. Oh, yeah. Wait, when, when is Pete the Kool-Aid man? Hang on. <laughs> Hang on here. He did bust that guy through the wall. Oh, okay, yeah, fair. I feel like he did. He did, yeah. Yeah, he did. 
Now Donald walks into the scene, casually singing hi-ho from some independent art film or something. Oh, I'm yeah. not sure if you all have heard of it. <laughs> Very quick promotion there, Donald. Oh, wait, the Seven Dwarves. <laughs> I didn't know Disney... Again, this is just how little I've watched Disney shorts. I forgot that Disney can be cheeky sometimes with themselves, especially. um, I mean, it's not like Warner's any better because like we we covered a bunch of 1943 era ones where they were playing as time goes by in Bugs Bunny cartoons. So like they they can toot their own horn as much as they want. I mean, I mean, you can you could sit there and try to dig up some music that you might have to pay rights to or yeah. you can just use your own music house, yeah. and as we've alluded to here in 1940 donald is much further into his visual evolution with the shorter wider bill the more defined eye structure it, you know his overall shape is what we know as the standardized disney merchandising version he's on model he's yeah. adorable yeah. yeah. Grabbing and the sign, awesome. Donald just takes the construction worker shaped hole in the fence as. <laughs> that was a good line delivery. It's like, what a peculiar door. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, also, also, wow, what a time when you actually want to work. <laughs> oh. What a time when you were desperate to work. Give you know, the time when they actually paid fair wages. Or wait, no, maybe no, they didn't pay fair, wa- yeah, fair yeah. wages back then. <laughs> yeah. So going to Pete, the big galoot just laughs at the idea of Donald doing the heavy work, but Donald imitates Pete's bluster, which backfires. Hmm. But it's kind of cute. Yeah, let's try it. Builds up that big old chest just to drop it and somehow knock himself in the face. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Thank you. So Donald's hired, and he asks where he starts after some military-style posing with his tools. Where is he starting? Hmm. Up there! The top <laughs> flipping floor! <laughs> Gotta test the new guy. No one said Pete was nice, and I believe this is one of the first forms of hazing that we see. <laughs> Donald's green around the feathered gills, but Pete tosses him to the construction lift and sends Donald up in a hurry. A dizzy Donald stumbles along the steel girders with several close calls, oh, but snaps out I, of it and hangs out of your life. I love this perspective shot. Uh, yeah. I love when he, when he looks over the edge, and he's like the blurry scene, and he goes into yeah. focus. Oh, it's so good. That's yeah. So cool. I think this is one of the first time we actually see like the terror cord <laughs> in a Disney flick. That's cool. Which is nice. Yeah. Pete demands he gets to work, and Donald just plainly says, shut up. He doesn't yell. He almost mutters it. But Pete hears it nonetheless, and he uses Donald's bill as an ashtray. As someone who does retail work, I cannot tell you how many times that has happened. Yeah. <laughs> it, is a, it is a really cute gag, because I think we've all been there when we've had that boss that's just yeah. like... Always there. Yeah. Absolutely. And through this sequence, the more cowardly side of Donald is thusly illustrated. <laughs> Not nearly to the degree that Daffy has, though. No. no. I'd actually love to see a short with Daffy, Daffy and Donald together, actually. It's, I know it will never happen. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a cool contrast because like, I think that 
Donald more than Daffy. They're both trying to be tougher than they are. And I think Donald succeeds more at that than Daffy because Daffy at the end of the day is more of a coward and has less to prove and is more morally bankrupt. So it'd be interesting to see them bounce off each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I do like though, that when Pete confronts Donald for the second time, Donald just immediately puts the freaking like cigar on his like bill. and is like, (laughs) Just like skips right to it. Yeah, I also love that this little animation gag here. I do like when uh, Donald is trying to operate the machinery, and there's a moment where where a bunch of Donald show up at once because he's <laughs> operating the machine all over the place. That's and what I right. love is in watching uh, Warner Brothers cartoons. If Warner Brothers does that gag, usually I, I don't think they would cheap out, but like it would be like it would animate different layers and set it up differently so that like. It, it, it would still be full animation, but it wouldn't really feel like it. I do like here where when when Donald does, when all those Donalds do show up, they're all fully animated Donalds in the frame. Yeah. yeah. So this is the next part of the cartoon where Donald realizes he has no idea how to work the riveting device. And here comes the pain. <laughs> Oh, Even though yeah. by today's standards, we can guess how many of these first gags with a riveting hammer are going to play out. Donald's grumpy attitude and the craftsmanship that Mark was speaking to really keep it worth watching for me. But then he gets his foot stuck and the short really starts to shine as Donald goes through a gauntlet of agony oh. akin to what Wiley Coyote would later endure under the influence of earthquake pills. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we were just talking about those uh, the other day. How, um, how, how um, Chuck Jones really loved that gag so much. Where even in like a documentary, he talked about that short about the pills. And as as people who have seen Hoplon Casualty, there's a reason for that. <laughs> there's not much in that cartoon other than just the earthquake pills it's almost like the cartoon was concocted yeah. just to make sure the earthquake pills got in a short like it was lying around i think from either the special or some some other thing it's like let's just get some gags around this and it's clearly the far and away the best thing in the whole cartoon so yeah now the best gag here in the riveter for me is donald riveting pete's blueprints which he rips off the girder and reveals it's been reduced to paper dolls. I love that. Oh, I love that. Oh, that was so good. But the whole process is so bad for Donald. He shakes when he's not even holding the thing, just when one of them is running. And not just his, anyone's. (laughs) The whole thing with the lunch. It makes me nervous. It's it's, it's (laughs) post-riveting stress disorder. I I feel bad for him. Oh, I love it. It's it's I don't know if I don't know if it's it, if I'm a, a, if I'm going further in the notes, but the bit here where it's like Pete trying to eat its, his lunch and, and Donald just shaking it the like whenever he hears a riveting downstairs and nearly ruining it for him. That's great. That's right where we are. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, yeah. But he, yeah. It, it, and Pete is just he's had it. <laughs> the ensuing chase is loaded with excellent gags that come in oh, such a clip especially Donald climbing up the rope attached to the work whistle, making it toot. And yeah. then Pete's girth oh, making the same that. whistle play in baritone. <laughs> 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 yeah. You know, 
as, as much of a jerk as Pete is, I'm going to have to give him at least some sympathy. Donald, due to that riveting gag, accidentally threw scolding hot coffee on him. That sucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been burned by co- – I've had coffee spilled on me working in a coffee shop. And, <sighs> oh, yeah. Not, but it allowed us to get one of those really good Billy Bletcher-like screams. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So this whole sequence leads to a door without a floor after it. And Donald tricks Pete into falling through and gets some quick drying plaster for him to <laughs> land in. Pete lands and tries to continue his pursuit, but drives into a frankly adorable garden statue with a hose acting as its matching fountain. For once, Donald uh-huh. wins! Yeah. Yay. I like that. Wins. It does happen occasionally. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen. Well, it's just a nice change of pace. Yeah. Well, it's because Donald's against a bigger, a bigger, yeah. nastier threat. Exactly. I mean, it's not yeah. the kind of thing where they can both lose yet, because I think we're the, we're on Donald's side for most of it. So, you know, it wouldn't make sense for him to lose as well. Yeah. Of course, uh, Pete turning into the statue reminded me of another cat. Not the Cupid! Not the Cupid statue! Not the Cupid! It's somewhere on the back of my mind. Hmm. Oh, I know that one. Something. What's that from? It's Shaohound, isn't it? Oh. Oh, yeah. Right? Is it? James? You know, the the cat from the gambling bug. Oh, early to bet. Early to bet. That, oh, that's what I haven't oh. seen in like. T- we're we're gonna cover yeah, we- that I think this year, and and that was one that was literally from the recesses of my memories that I remembered early to bet because that was several golden collection drinks ago. Um, I, I had to get it in there. Uh, yeah, yeah that's I, another I, drink. I, yeah, exactly. But I, I, yeah, no, I, I have the faintest like years ago nostalgia for that cartoon, and then I was like, whoa, I'm back there. <laughs> yeah. Now, continuing on, 1940 was also a crucial year for the development of Donald Duck's mythology, as it was the debut of the comic series Walt Disney's Comics and Stories. Therein, starting in 1943, the anthology series began a run of 10-page stories starring Donald, written and drawn by Carl Barks. Ah, yes. (laughs) Barks would create an entire world around Donald and his nephews, More on them after the commercial break. Specifically, the city of Duckburg. And in 1947, Barks came up with a certain penny-pinching, bagpipe-blessing multi-gazillionaire who would become Disney's most famous character not yet appearing in animation. But curse me, Kilts, that's a story for our next podcast. Uh, My personal favorite Disney character I'm going to throw out there, so... The ultimate point of this is that Donald slowly but surely took on an entire other life in these comics, becoming the superhero Papernick in Italy, for instance, and winding up with a fourth nephew, thanks to art errors being published, who was turned into a separate freak of nature character in Belgium. And these, in large part, are what Hmm. made Donald easily the single most prolific character in Disney's entire pantheon. I, I would like to tell you, I know my cousins in Italy are going to be tickled pink that you mentioned Paper Nick. <laughs> Shout out to my cousins. So when we return, we go to characters Donald helped introduce. So stay mm-hmm. tuned. 
We'll be right back to the show on Disney Channel. On the next Pemmy and James podcast, after some experiments in Saturday morning cartoons, Disney tackled the syndicated market with their most ambitious televised animated series to date, DuckTales. Drawing inspiration and characters from Carl Barks' classic comic books, Scrooge McDuck became a household name all over again, and weekday afternoons in the 80s became destination viewing for a generation of kids. Dive into the money bin with us in two weeks. So now, we're about to formally meet Donald's nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. They were conceptualized by Al Taliaferro for a planned short in 1937. And from that idea, they were designed by Carl Barks, who at that time was working as a storyboard artist. Now, they were intended to be counterparts for Mickey's nephews, Morty and Ferdy Fieldmouse. But it's pretty clear which set of nephews has, has had the longest lasting influence. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It helps that Donald is such a good foil for Kitty Mischief that Absolutely. these triplets made for good story fuel. And naturally, Clarence Nash would provide the voices for these three in the same style as Donald, just at a slightly higher register. Because just doing Donald's voice wasn't hard enough. No, no, no. Do it except at a higher register. So do even more work yeah. with your voice. and Wear yourself out even more, Clarence. Hey, at least they didn't ask Clarence to try to differenti- differentiate the voice between the three boys, okay? okay. They let him get away with they let They let him be like, you could do the same voice for all three. Just, just higher. <laughs> Makes it easier for me. Thank you. Trying to pay triple? No, no, you don't. No, no. no. You're going to get the same pay as everybody else. <laughs> I, I do find it weird that through the legacy of the nephews, the nephews have gone from sounding like Donald to speaking normal to sounding like Donald to speaking normal again. <laughs> I guess it depends on how they want what what the need is for the cartoon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I get the modern DuckTales' take on, okay, we should have them sound normal because, you know, all the characters kind of sound normal. They even made Donald sound normal for a couple episodes, so. Donald bought him speech therapy. Yeah, you know, he took those Don Cheadle uh, speaking tapes. <laughs> so, our short is the one that was featured in House of Villains, mm. Donald Duck and the Gorilla from 1944, directed title. by Jack King. Uh, I just want to say I have a bit of a nostalgia for this one because since I'm old, um, back back in the, like the '80s, I had a tape that was like called Disney Scary Tales or something like that, and it had this short on it, and mm. I watched it a lot. I don't even remember the other shorts that were on it. I just remember this one specifically. I think on that one they had like spooky skeletons on there. Oh yeah, oh, yes, the dancing skeletons. That's right. Hell yes. Yeah. Which actually creeped me out when I was a kid. I wouldn't be surprised if the Lonesome Ghosts made it onto that. Probably. I think that did too. It'd be weird if it was just like, okay, okay, scary things, you know, ghosts and skeletons and uh, uh, gorilla. (laughs) Sure. I I will Ah. say that this one does manage to have kind of a scary vibe to it, despite being obviously comedic. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's got a nice tension to it. And appropriately enough, it begins on one dark and stormy night. Suddenly it's a shot right rang this. Out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I actually have my stoop, my Snoopy stuffed toy with me, so. Yeah. <laughs> Donald and the boys are listening to the radio when an announcer, apparently a police dispatcher, warns the listening audience of the escape of Ajax the gorilla. Attention all listeners. Attention all listeners. Ajax, the terrible gorilla, has just escaped from the city zoo. Be on the lookout. This animal is a killer. And that is all. Breckenridge. And we should note that him signing off with Breckenridge is customary, as dispatchers sign off by saying their last names. So this isn't some oblique reference to the Colorado ski town. Ah. It would be weird if, like, like, podcast did that at the very end. You're like, and that's the end of our program. Hail him. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Although, in my case, it would just sound like I'd be cursing. Like, that's the end of our program. Schmidt. (laughs) I mean, not Alan Corgi. That's that's my real last. (laughs) Hemi, stop outing yourself. It's not that kind of podcast. No, no, no. Anyhow, sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so this really scares the kids, and Donald just laughs at their fear. What a great adult role model! It's Donald. For some reason, he has a pair of gorilla gloves right next to him, and shuts off the lamp to play some pranks on the trio team. Speculate on precisely why Donald would have these gloves right on hand. Go! I don't know! It's Halloween. I noticed about about this cartoon. Just like, why does he have gorilla hands and a full gorilla suit? I'll tell you why. The next commission. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Maybe he was a gorilla for Halloween one year. he he, He sold the rest of the costume and he just kept the gloves. Listen, as far as I was concerned, it's on a sp- when I saw this, I was watching the same tape as Pemmy was, and I just assumed it was later on on Halloween night. They went; he dressed up as a gorilla for Halloween. Yeah, or, or his nephews have just played so many pranks on him. He he's prepared. Yeah. <laughs> he just, well, actually, he has a full closet. I've got a, full a theory. Closet of costumes out there ready. What's your what's your, what's your, what's your Donald Moonlights doing gorilla grams. And it was him at the Rift Tracks live event for Starship Troopers. Oh, yes, <laughs> Gorilla Grand, like he just like oh, knocks on the doors, like and sings a song as a gorilla and hands you candy. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. oh, or maybe it turns out that uh, Donald was actually the gorilla in the Warner Brothers short Hurdy Gurdy hair. He just had no idea. <laughs> there, there, there's a crossover we asked for earlier. Yeah. Or he's the gorilla in that SpongeBob cartoon. <laughs> hey, that's I had my only other comment is we we don't need to know what Donald and Daisy are doing in their personal time. So. No, no, exactly. no, no. Exactly. Nope. Okay. Nope. We can. I apologize. To that's all, folks. <laughs> so with his joke pulled, the trio decide to up the ante with a full blown gorilla costume, which we've been referring to. The shot of them making their approach in their individual parts of the costume is a really cute idea. Yeah. <laughs> I like the gag coming up with the sucker, though I still have concerns about Donald having a whole giant lollipop up his shirt. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I put it on the same thing as uh, as Herb in the Will Vinton. Oh. 
Christmas special, okay? Oh. <laughs> it's it's like that one episode of The Simpsons. It's like, I like to keep a lolly there. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, you know, we don't need to know what Donald and Daisy do in the bedroom. No, no, no. <laughs> No, no, no. But I, I, I love I love the gag though where the gorilla takes a well, the the gorilla takes a bite out of it and then Donald takes the, the lollipop and puts yeah. it under his beak and he's just got the giant teeth. I love that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as the kids laugh at their act of turnabout, mm-hmm. the genuine Ajax appears at the window and doesn't so much as open the window as lift it right off the wall to get in. <laughs> now that's an establishing sure. shot. <laughs> that's a that's a good good gag. Ajax is voiced by James McDonald, a foley artist by trade, oh. but he would take up voice acting, oh. and most notably, <laughs> he'd inherit the role of Mickey Mouse from Walt himself in 1947, and then pass it on to Wayne Allwine in 1977. Mm, okay. Oh, nice. Hot dog. <laughs> So we do get a Mickey Mouse cartoon in this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fleeing off, the trio, in their costume pieces, run into their uncle who pursues them, now wise to the prank. But then Donald runs into Ajax and thinks it's the boys back in full costume. Nope. I mean, this is known as a bait and switch. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a good example of a cartoon where the source of the humor is withheld information, though I think it would have been funnier if they'd gone a little longer before Donald could figure out the difference between the fake girl and the real one. However, seeing as what they get up to in the second half, I understand why it's here, why he figures it out after this. Yeah. Yeah, that withheld information sort of bit would be something Warner would master. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Though it doesn't stop Donald from sticking his head into the gorilla's like freaking mouth, doing like five echoes, yeah. It's almost it's like it's like I I think with Don I think this whole bit here with Donald like wait, because no, he's kind of really disbelieving at first that it's not his nephews. Like he really wants to be like, no, this has to be my nephews. Like no 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 no, no. and he's like, ah shit. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm screwed. <laughs> So just as Donald gets the sweats, the radio announcer pipes in with a notice. You can dominate a wild animal by looking it in the eyes. Suddenly, I think back to our Huckleberry Hound podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wondering if this announcer is left over from that podcast or if they both have the same book. Because that that lion taming advice gave the opposite instruction. Oh, don't look in the opposite. Oh, yeah. Don't look in the eye. Yeah, um, it's a this is a very um, it, it's a very standard cartoon plot. The year, which is pretty much just character tries to deal with monster while they read a book and or radio broadcast. Like like Tom and Jerry did this. There's Porky Pig cartoons that did this. It's a very conventional cartoon plot. I, I do love though the the gag though, so where Donald stares him in the eye and his pu and the gorilla's pupil literally oh, turns into freaking tombstone. Like, I love that, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Donald retreats via one umbrella to the mouth and quickly reunites with the kids, and they're on the search for Ajax. But <laughs> Huey holding the candle is nothing but trouble for poor Donald. Pouring hot wax on his tail, then setting it on fire. Pemmy, don't say it. That's some hot tail. 
Uh, he said, Pemmy. He, he what? He said, Pemmy don't say it. Well, that's because no. I expect it to come from Pemmy. <laughs> right. No, no. no I, 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 I've got a gag to say for this one, and I'm saving it. So good. It's, it's funny because so Donald shoes them off, but then winds up heating the doorknob by accident. Hmm. Ouch. <clears throat> He eventually runs into Ajax, who's uh, swinging on the rafters. And the chase is on, beginning with very good gag and just knocking them out of the park one after the oh other. God, yeah. Team, favorites in this part? Oh, there's so many. First of all, just the speed uh, yeah. of it. The speed. It's just like a million miles an hour and all of them are just hitting. It just flows. Like, it's it's yeah. us chase. It's an actual chase scene. It's not yeah. like it's going slow. It's just one right after the other and it's Exactly what you expect if you're trying to run from an, a wild animal. And I like. That. I love the I love the music in this too. It reminds yeah. me a lot of um. There's a Warner Brothers cartoon called I, I I believe it's Apes of Wrath, where the the music in that one is like it's a mix of like of like Carl Stalling music, but with like both like like a sense of Tarzan. It's like Carl Stalling by way of Tarzan. And it's I think, very, like, oh, jungle. Mark, I think I know the one you're talking about. I think it's Gorilla My yeah. Dreams, because that's the one with the sort yeah. of the, the, the Raymond Scott, you know, do, 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 yeah, do, yes. do, do, yes. Yeah, no, and that's, that's exactly. perfect in that. Exactly. Way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I got a very similar vibe from this cartoon as well uh, of the music in this, because they're very good, easy just done, like, typical cartoon chase music, but I do love how they add that, that jungle flair to it to really add yeah. the suspense and the terror of the situation. Yeah. I, I like the gags with Donald's tail somehow becoming anthropomorphized. Oh, I like that. Pointing stuff out. Now, mm-hmm. the thing with that, it, Mark and I on our show have a recurring bit, which where which is called, What Am I to Make of This? Where I point out a shot the animators probably didn't intend to be suggested, but it is. So, um, what am I to make of this shot of the gorilla trying to eat Donald's ass? Um <laughs> <laughs> Pictures taken out of context, people. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say that, uh, you know, like I said, Donald's uh, tail becomes anthropomorphized, even going as far as poking the gorilla in the eyes. So, does this that. mean that Donald's a smartass? <laughs> hey, yeah. Woo! better to be a smartass than a dumbass. <laughs> there, there was my gag that I was holding. <laughs> Actually, it's better to be a smartass or dumbass than a dead ass. Hey. Well, hey. Could, I guess you could also say Donald was the butt of the joke in this. Oh, that's a wise ass comment. Um, <laughs> thank you. Forget us thank not you. going to Scotland. Scotland's going to come to us. <laughs> We're going to get invaded by Scotland. Bunch of angry Scots going, What's the meaning of this? How dare you keep doing the puns? My bunny lies over the sea is a good books bunny cartoon. How do you not like it? I just got you there. That's why it's funny. (laughs) Scotland's got to find us first. (laughs) Let's see. A bunch of Scottish people running around Florida for some reason going, no, that's nowhere near it. (laughs) Here's the problem. We have a whole bunch of golf course up by me. So it's like, oh, hey, guys. Good luck. <laughs> oh, I want to find these people. Oh, but I want to go golfing. Damn. The dilemma. So. <laughs> Sorry. By the end, 
<laughs> the announcer suggests tear gas, Breckenridge, and the nephews employ it, leading to tears for Ajax and eventually Donald. <laughs> I love this ending. I know, it's so good. It's so great. They're just Donald having a good cry together. <laughs> Donald even pulling out the handkerchief for the gorillas. And he felt, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. Why do the nephews have tear cast though? Yeah, that's what I want to know. They have a good name lying around. I mean, it is wartime, so I kind of get it. I mean, but... Donald is a Navy soldier. So, yeah. You know, well, like, you know, he, he was he just, he just in his closet from when he was in the Navy. Yeah, going exactly. to his kid. Now, don't go into this until Halloween. It would explain a joke in the next cartoon, though. Oh, yeah. Hey, listen, I, there's been some I, there's been some weird stuff that I've seen people of like vets like world war ii vets and vietnam vets that people pulled out of their houses or i've seen in estate sales where i'm like how did how did the army let you walk away with that <laughs> weird like you're yeah you're just like how how were you able to walk that away also donald's managed to be in both the navy and the army wow yeah <laughs> yes he do yeah that's true but he wasn't a seal, though. That that required extra animation. Um, <laughs> oh! Identity crisis. <laughs> All right. Go ahead, James. So the nephews were successful, but they weren't the characters Donald helped introduce that spun off into their own series. That would be Chip and Dale. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Which reminds me of a joke. One time, somebody was calling to a Disney ho- to a friend at a Disney hotel. They were at a character breakfast, and they suddenly the people at the breakfast start cracking up because, oh, Chip and Dale just walked by, and the person on the other line is like, "What kind of breakfast are you at with male strippers?" <laughs> oh, oh, oh. This, this 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 is this is this has been the theme of the podcast, everyone. <laughs> what the theme of the podcast I is just that one out now. <laughs> I will also like to say that this is out of all our shorts. This is actually the one that actually has Donald's theme song in the beginning of it. Yeah, yeah, because this is because uh, Donald actually because Donald actually has a theme song that right. was put before his part cartoons from 1947 to 1959. Not bad. Uh, the last one that yeah, the last one that had it was how to have an accident at work. Which, More on that in a bit. Yeah, which I'm not sure how I feel about Disney making a how to have an accident at work cartoon. Here's Ooh. how to bleed your company dry. <laughs> Pretty um. much. Uh, the actual title of it is No One But Donald Duck. Mm-hmm. Is actually the, the actual title of the song. No One But Donald Duck um, can have an accident yeah. at work. <laughs> yes, think that would be Goofy Supply and Trade. Yeah, I, 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 I heard How To, and I'm like, that's a Goofy cartoon. No, no, no this one actually stars Donald Duck. <laughs> Damn, all right, cool. Oh, we're not talking about that. We are talking about, yes. for our last short, 1949's Toy Tinkers, directed by Jack Hanna. This is hmm. one of my favorite Chippendale cartoons. <laughs> and this is the one Mark and Jordan suggested, because... Yeah. Mark? So... <laughs> This short got nominated for Best Animated Short at that year's Academy Award, and it lost 
to um, the classic Pepe Le Pew cartoon for sentimental reasons. Yeah. You'll, you'll figure, you know, we're Lincoln's podcast. We should put some sort of loony connection to this thing. So uh, this is the short that, that according to comedy voters, while it was really good, it wasn't as good as Pepe Le Pew, which given not a lot of things are better than Pepe Le Pew. So, Fair. you know, that's a good one. I mean, you got to feel bad for Peppy. He keeps trying, but just never quite gets there. Uh, now he's got to deal with that frog that stole his name. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. <clears throat> and the, no, and the like, king the, prawn the thing, that stole his name as well. Exactly. Yeah, the, the thing with Peppy Pew cartoons, so the no, 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 this, this skunk is okay with the with the name thing, okay? I, uh, yeah, I don't think that's much of a problem, okay? Yeah, I think I, I the Pew uh, thing about the Pew cartoons is that, like, they can be good, but then a, a part of it is due to today's culture, but part of it is just due to how they would end. Some of them just don't end the best way intentionally. Some of them <laughs> like, just like, like, there'll be ones, yeah, like, where, like, yes, where they just stop, or it's, like, a really awkward situation, like, there's, his last one is, like, he gets he gets Penelope, but like the way he got her is like she got trapped inside of an air vent or something. It's like, yeah. hey, I won. It's like, <laughs> no, th- this isn't good. This is not a good thing. Mm. Mm. <laughs> is that the one where he, it ends with him chained to her? I don't. I think uh, that's a different one. Uh, or that yeah, might have been a commercial. <laughs> no, the, the, one of them I know ends with like Peppy saying, "Now we are inseparable," and you see like that they're shackled together, and Penelope's like nods, and then is frantically trying to like unshackle herself with a nail file. I don't think we've gotten to that one yet. I think it's probably in the no. next batch. I think the one that was interesting was the one where she, um, where she, I think she falls into like a vat of like alcohol, and no. then she comes on to him. Yeah, for sentimental yeah. reasons. Yeah, that's that's and, the, and one of the first ones. Yeah, and then and then he's just like, wait, what's wrong? Wait, no, it's <laughs> like he totally is like, he's like, no, this isn't right. I'm supposed to pursue <laughs> you, and it's like, that's why they work because yeah. occasionally yeah. the I, loony writers go like, actually, this isn't okay. And yeah, right. I do like that. Occasionally. Yeah, so, just like, hmm. anyway, let's get out of France and let's get going before <laughs> Bill Beretta sues us for the bad Pepe impressions. Oh, hey, mine was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was going to say, that was this was not that bad, actually. Yeah, thank you, everything. So, in Toy Tinkers, it's winter, and a bit of hibernation for Chip and Dale is interrupted by Donald chopping down a Christmas tree. <laughs> a very small Christmas tree. Yeah. Well, small enough house, you know, makes sense. If Charlie Brown saw that tree, he he would be gobsmacked. Yeah, <laughs> get bigger. <laughs> it's all about perception, people. Yeah. It's not the size that matters. Chip oh, wakes shit. up, Dale, and oh boy, go, go I wish the version of this cartoon I had included captions. Huh. Well, it's yeah. also nice that you kind of can do use your, use your imagination on what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for the purpose of taking exhaustive notes. Oh yeah, fair. Fair. <laughs> you just say they That's say kind of my gimmick. Yeah. Speaking chick monkeys. Donald sleds back to his home, 
and the chipmunks slide down the hill and jump to a window to see him decorating the tree. And Chip points out that under the tree is all kinds of delicious walnuts, peanuts, and so many varieties of candy. This has Dale in a frenzy trying to open the window uh, to considerably less success than Ajax. I do like the, the gag, though, of, like, Chip slapping, like, Dale, and it literally flips him upside down into a handstand. <laughs> Yeah, and Chip walking around that way <laughs> until he gets slapped again. So entering through the mail slot, the chipmunks set off to gathering food, and Dale runs right into a small teddy bear with a hat and cane. Knocking the accessories off, Dale decides they're just perfect for him and struts his stuff. Hey. No, I know, he's just like, hey. Your power's too strong. Your outfit is too on fleek. They'll kill you. (laughs) Or at least he tries, or at least they try to. It's the Chip and Dale equivalent of that Tom coming back through the door meme. (laughs) Meanwhile, Scrooge McDuck is watching and going, that's not a bad look. (laughs) Hey. We're typically taking notes. (laughs) Write that down, write that down. We get some comic business with Dale tipping his hat to some other plushies that kind of fall over to return the gesture. And he triggers a mechanical set of cork gun duelists (laughs) that scares him right off. I was not expecting them to draw guns. (laughs) Like, all right. (laughs) This knocks him back into Chip, who slaps some sense into him. Does this mean those toys popped a cap in uh, Dale? Oh, no. (laughs) Or tried to. (laughs) They tried to. Also, regarding slapping sense into Dale, I hate to break it to you, Chip, but that ship sailed a long time ago. <laughs> it doesn't stop him from trying. Oh, well. Yeah, there's there's so much character. Something I was about this short is that there's so much character in Chip and Dale, even this somewhat early appearance from them. They're already pretty much perfectly formed. The Chip and Dale characters here are, are the closest to full character gag work. Uh, I think we get in the short because a lot of their material is just them going off each other and doing it amazingly well. The annoyance of them is is great comedic fodder throughout the short. Yeah, I think what really makes them really also work too is the fact that we kind of true like we kind of understand what they're saying to each other, but we don't fully understand what they're saying to each other, which makes their motions more meaningful and impactful. Like their physical motions because that tells us what they're doing which is it's almost like i like it it's it makes you have to pay attention to what they're doing more than you have to pay attention to their words which makes them more interesting to me as characters of course disney would also slow the dialogue down just enough when it when it becomes important in later shorts yes (laughs) oh yeah so meanwhile donald is gathering more ornaments but a noise alerts him to the chipmunks using part of a toy construction set and a motorized to- and a motorized 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 <laughs> toy truck to more efficiently load goodies into a box. Progress. <laughs> walnuts. <laughs> They're very smart. You know, a lot of people should eat more walnuts. They're good for the liver. <laughs> They're running a goddamn business in chestnuts. That's fantastic. <laughs> They've taken leaps and bounds into that. They they really thought this out. They're like, all right, how are we going to get these out of here faster? 
this way. I, I, I do like the gags, though, with that. Like, Donald stops Dell's uh, truck with the, uh, with the railroad, like, <laughs> with the railroad, uh, what do you call them? Like, guards, I guess. And yeah. uh, so that Donald can, like, take all of the chestnuts or walnuts and put them in a bowl only for Chip to come in on the little, like, hand cart the hand cart and grab them back. It's a very good set of gags. So as the duo celebrate, Donald employs his next gambit, disguising himself as Santa and invoking jealousy by gifting Dale a regular-sized chestnut or walnut or whatever kind of nut it is, and Chip an impossibly large one. Oh my goodness. Something that I realized while watching this is that, you know how, like, in the Disney parks, they'll have, like, Goofy be Santa, or now Stitch, eh, uh, Stitch be Santa. Um, I don't Stitch. think I've ever seen Donald as Santa. Uh, I don't know if they have him around in the parks as Santa. It's happened once, at least I for think- a stage show. Yeah. I remember, I think I remember back in the 80s, they, they did it. They've done it a few times, and then they retired it. Because they retire out characters. Yeah. Well, oh. Donald got permanently put on the naughty list, so, you know, he wasn't allowed to be Santa <laughs> anymore. I just yeah. remember this one stage show where everybody decided to dress up as Santa. Donald decided to do it. Goofy decided to do it. Mickey decided to do it. Chip and Dale decided to do it. Mickey, aren't, with, a, with the beard? It's like Mickey with the Santa beard. I I can't quite picture for some reason. <laughs> Dang it! I I hate this because you you said that James immediately the scene from Futurama popped in my head. Where <laughs> oh. with Santa. It's like, and I I'm was Santa. Yes. <laughs> How dare you lie in front of Jesus? <laughs> That's great. <sighs> So, inside the impossibly sized chestnut is a pistol that Donald has ready to fire. And boy, Chip wants Dale to have it now. (laughs) He's like, all yours, brother. Sweet Jesus, the duck has a gun. Yeah, sweet Jesus. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen this one, so I admit I was surprised when Donald had a full freaking pistol. (laughs) Kept that from the army, too, I guess. Well, considering considering what happens next, I'm yeah. not surprised. Yeah. What yeah. happens immediately, Donald orders the duo to march off into a toy police wagon, <laughs> which Donald then trips into a crash. I love that he watches Now he's just him. being petty. He watches him crash. I love that. He just You just see him, just his head move every time it hits something. I love that. It's so good. Uh, yeah, it's like you, they don't show the crash. You just watch his reaction to it. Somebody call the ASPCA. <laughs> Here's my question: Like, it's an animal doing it to another animal. Like, does PETA mm. get involved? Mm, yes, that is a very common occurrence we find on while covering Looney Tune cartoons. Is because a lot of the cast are animals. What happens? Like, if, if like if Foghorn Leghorn beats up Barnyard Dog, well, okay, they're both animals. So, like, who would Peter sign for? Yeah. So, as if that's not enough, Donald <laughs> loads a toy rifle with nuts and candies and starts shooting <laughs> at the chipmunks, leading them right to a toy cannon. Oh, no, not the thing they want. 
The only thing that, the only thing that could make this better is if they were playing the eighteen twelve orature. <laughs> now, is it just me? Is it just <laughs> me or this moment here where Chip and Dale and Donald are all of a sudden in this like wartime esque battle? Did anyone have any memories of um the SpongeBob episode Snowball Effect? You know, yes. It's like all of a sudden they're they're doing this battle, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, this this kind of reminds me of that a little bit. I just remember being young and watching this with my co- one of my with my cousin David, and when he we, they used to come up here for Christmas, uh, we actually used to have snowball wars in the backyard. So this kind of used to remind us of us being in the backyard of my of my grandparents' house having snowball wars. Yeah. So we would sit there and be like, "Oh my god!" And then, like after we would watch it, we would go out and we would get kicked outside, and then we would have snowball fights. Yeah, oh. you just watch the episode and go, "Oh, I remember when we when I would slow motion throw snowballs inside of your mouth." Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Hey, let's try and see if we could do that." And then he was only two years older than me, so remember when you're like when you're like seven and nine, like you you're just like, "Hey, let's see if we could do that." Yeah, you know, see if it's possible. And then, hey, back then we used to have snow on the ground in you know December. Yeah, no. It, it, instead of just like like weeks of rain, which is what we get now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Damn you, global warming. But you know what? Every wartime scene needs telephone okay. gags. Sure. Oh my god. Oh my oh goodness. My god. I love this. They both work. Yes. <laughs> they both work because like the first one it's it, it's it's Donald answering the phone and going you know hello and it's not as funny as the the, the running gag that Mark and I have done with with just Elmer at Elmer Fudd absentmindedly just answering going hello, hello hello and then getting just something just foisted at him so that got me and the timing of the second one got me as well yeah it reminds me of uh what was it uh the Huckleberry Hound cartoon that we that we did in the Huckleberry episode <laughs> with uh with dangerous Dal- uh, Dinky, Dinky Dalton. Dinky Dalton. He's it's got Dinky, something. all right. <laughs> <laughs> so that second time, Donald is wise to the shot, but he gets lulled by pleasant music before being fired <laughs> upon through the wire. Cartoon logic, I baby. That. I love it. That was a. Gr- that was a greatly timed gag. Uh, I, like that was the one gag that I was, um, I was going. That that could be a that could be in a Looney Tunes cartoon. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Now Donald finally fights this tactic by sending a stick of dynamite to their end of the phone. And I was going to question this, but then I remembered the tear gas. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Dynamite, tear gas. He just has them all. One stop shop. Like I said, you'd be amazed what vets have in their home. <laughs> <laughs> like, how did you, how did you get that? Like how how did how did they let you leave the base with that? Like how were you not stopped? Still, the dynamite gets stuck, and Donald loses his temper yet again, and foolishly answers the phone once it <laughs> rings. Boy, he got what he deserved here. Yeah, yeah. And he waves that flag. <laughs> so, cosplaying American rebels. Chip and Dale lead a toy convoy filled with treats back to their log. It, in Donald's defense, though, I mean, they invaded his house, not vice versa. So I know, yeah. 
Yeah, but then he got sadistic with it. You know, but yeah, also like you yeah, know, it's yeah, the whole. Yeah, that's kind of a little bit of column A, little bit of column B. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, because I, I know there's the um, the other Jim Dale cartoon where that one is uh, Donald cut down the tree they lived in and and it became a Christmas tree, and then the whole yeah. thing is them yeah. getting their tree back essentially. But so I, I do like how how they covered both ends of, of, of the of Christmas for a chipmunk, both inside the tree and also. Um, outside the tree. Also, this is a complete side thing. Um, I, I saw this online this year where apparently someone cut down, they cut a tree, they put it in their house, and there was like, I think it was like an owl was in it, or like, like it was some creature that was actually inside of their tree, and they had no idea. It was really funny. Yeah. So it does happen. It does actually yeah. happen. Oh, yeah. Well, they also did that with uh, Mickey because Mickey also chopped down a Christmas tree and Chip and Dale were in it. So like we mentioned before, the final Donald Duck theatrical short of Disney's classic period, 1959's How to Have an Accident at Work, came out and then the short subjects transitioned to television on Walt's own programs on ABC. And this run of original animation would continue featuring Donald until 1968. And between then... Donald would also appear in educational films. <gasps> the most well-known of these being Donald in Math Magic Land, uh-huh. which I presume yeah. is Finn the Human's favorite, Pemmy? <laughs> Mathematical! <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorites, too. Of his, of his, uh, of his, uh, um, cinematic ones. Yeah, I, think I, I got a, I got a question that. for you, James. What was that? Even- it's. I got a question. Even though it's slightly, re- it's not Donald specifically. It is related in the fact you know who Chip and Dale went up against in their final cartoon or their final theatrical cartoon. Was it Pluto? Nope. Seth Rogen. <laughs> no. But it, it was actually. Pete. It was actually Pete. Oh. Oh. Pete. oh it's, a wild, it's a Wild West themed one, and it's got Pistol Pete. And oh. uh, Chip and Dell actually take him down for the for for the reward for him being wanted. Yes. When uh, we do Chip and Dale theatrical shorts, we got to do that one. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of Chip and Dale, I would be remiss if I did not give a shout out to our friend Carrie Woodham, who's been following us very loyally and has expressed interest in doing the episode on Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers. Don't Great worry, show. Carrie. You're number one with a bullet for that episode. <laughs> Hi, I Carrie. That show. That's a, that's that was a fun yeah. show. I watched it a lot on Two Disney. Yeah. That's but to yeah. this day, whenever there's a new Mickey Mouse production, Donald is almost never far behind. Yes. And nearly as frequently, he's present when Chip and Dale need an antagonist, or we return to Duckburg, or someone simply needs to be the butt of a bad luck joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, can I say one more uh, Chip and Dale story before you wrap up here? So, um, when I went oh, of to course. Disney World, yeah. So when I went to Disney World last year, um, we went to Hollywood <laughs> Studios and you know, we, we met Pluto, who's very nice. And then after that, Chip and Dale are walking. They're walking back because I guess they're, they're all in the same area, and they have a picnic basket, and Pluto. Like Pluto goes up the Chip and Dale, and they just do start doing a shtick. Yeah. They start doing a bit in front of everybody yeah. of these characters interacting. I'm like, 
oh wow, they actually do do that because like because like y- you see like the Disney Parks video where it's like oh here's Mickey doing this fun thing in the parks and you're like yeah that's a marketing <laughs> they don't actually do that and then no, sure enough I'm at Hollywood Studios and they actually interact and, and in fact um, Pluto left for a little bit. And he came back, and like as he was walking back, there was a scroll on the ground, and Pluto freaking jumped and yeah. like went on the ground to like get the scroll. I'm like, oh my god! Yeah, yeah there's the meme yeah. of, of Pluto hiding from Cruella Deville whenever she shows up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they um the 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 actors who play the characters yeah. nowadays they're they're more and more into it because a lot yeah. of the actors who do it, some of them are actually Renfair actors. <laughs> Who eventually do go to the parks to do it because it's better pay than the run fares, and <laughs> and they're still not paid enough. Well. And they're still not paid enough, but they get a they do get a quite a bit of perks too because they're they're living. I think it's they pay for their housing, yeah, um, and they pay for a lot of that stuff too. So they don't get paid a lot, but their housing is kind of free. Yeah, though um, they should probably pay Tigger more because he's the one that always gets into trouble. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> but um. It's it's interesting with that because like when I went so this is kind of a Donald centric story. My cousin David Donald is um, my cousin David's favorite character, which is oh, yeah. why a lot of times we used to watch the Donald cartoons when we were growing up. And when he was younger, he went to Disney with his family uh, back in the eighties. But the year they went was the year that they retired Donald because they'll do that. They'll actually cycle out a character to retire it to build up. Uh, demand for that character Mm -hmm. so he never got his picture taken with donald when he was younger in 2001 we went back to disney it was after my dad died and my aunt michelle inherited a lot of money um so she from from uh, a death and so she paid for everyone to go to disney for thanksgiving Mm -hmm. it was the first thanksgiving without my dad so we went down for a couple of days and me and david made it our mission because he wanted a picture with donald you know, at the time I was 21, he was 23. We ran all over the park asking every character, mm. where was Donald Duck? Cause oh. he was out. Cause he was out because he wasn't, he wasn't, he was back out. And, and we were looking. So we, it made it our mission. We're running around with my nephew, Matthew, who was probably about three at the time. Cause he wanted to join us on it. So he was running with us with this picture of Donald duck that he, that he colored. Hmm. And we were going up to every character going, have you seen this duck? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. We did eventually get a picture with Donald, okay. um, but it was, I mean, but that was, that was the fun of it. Of course, David's like, he goes, when I fight Donald, I'm going to kick him. Cause he wasn't out when I was at the age of seven. And I'm like, Dave, you can't kick the character. <laughs> well, as we've but, discussed, kicking Donald goes back to its, his very origin. So yeah, <laughs> pretty much. But yeah. I've got a great story too, but I'll tell that off air right now. Mark, Jordan, do you want do you want to give your podcast a plug? Absolutely. You can find our podcast, uh, That's Not Quite All Folks, wherever podcasts are readily available. We're also on Twitter at that underscore loony. Uh, we're doing plenty of Looney Tunes related stuff um, in, in the coming year. We have plans to do uh, some of the more Amblin stuff uh, in the next year or so. Uh, we're, we're doing uh, Taz Quest for Burger uh, in a couple of weeks. So uh, check us out there if you like your Warner Brothers related uh, tomfoolery. Yeah, and uh, we also have a Patreon at, yeah. at patreon.com slash TNQAF. Some of the people here have been incredibly loyal, and we thank Thanks, them Samson. for that. 
<coughs> James. <coughs> thank you. Um, thank you. And, and of course, as far as our podcast is concerned, you know, and also theirs, if you're enjoying it, make sure you give us a rating on whatever podcatcher you're using, at least the ones that support it. If you're listening on YouTube, give us a like, share, subscribe, ring the notification bell, and uh, present us with a picture of you in a zebra costume. That's the next commission. (laughs) (laughs) Don't give him ideas, James. James, listen. um, Yeah, don't. don't I I just keep going back to that one gag from Garfield and Friends. (laughs) Which is on the list. Yeah. Oh, good. And uh, before we go restock the breakfast cereal, I want to tie things back to That's Not Quite All Folks Running Gags one last time. Uh-oh. Because they're, aside from the obvious crossover of Donald and Daffy, the <laughs> crossover I want to see is Donald with uh, Bugsy and uh, his henchmen. Rock- Rocky and Mugsy? Rocky and Mugsy, <laughs> Rocky yes. Rocky and Mugsy, yes. I want to see a crossover with Donald and Rocky and Mugsy, where All Donald right. loses his temper yeah. while Rocky and Mugsy are in line at the drive-thru at Wendy's. <laughs> All right. Oh my I'm gosh. going to get a triple Baconator. Okay, boss. No, no, not a triple. Only a double. <laughs> I got that out. <laughs> what running do again. you mean they're out of bacon? <laughs> again, it's just turning into JFK from Clone High. <laughs> it's all it's turning into at this point. Yeah. It's not a good show. Oh, yeah. Okay, I guess we better go to BJ's wholesale to restock the breakfast cereal since there's five of us. I got right. the card. Yeah, we got to stay away Ooh. from the Scottish people, too. I'll take the high road. Um, and I'll take the low road. Woo-hoo! And we'll see you in Killarney. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Bye. <laughs> see ya. The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.